0: Given me the opportunity this morning to to preach, and it's been a, a week where it's been really exciting. Actually, the opportunity to share. I, I last shared um, at Christmas time on Christmas Day, and that was a really enjoyable time. And um, I couldn't have done too badly if he's asked me to to come back and share again. So, so last week um, or this month actually, we've taken a break from the Book of Galatians, um, and we've been sharing. The the preaching topics have been a lot of practical elements um, in life. And uh, one of the things that Ant shared last week was about what it means to be part of the church community. And it really struck a chord with me. Um, I was really encouraged. Um, On Wednesday night at our life group, um, we were able to reflect on just some of the things that uh, it meant to be a community. And it was, again, really encouraging, really um, beautiful time where people were able to be honest, be able to share life. Um, the good things as well as the hard things in life. And in our life group itself, there's a lot of um, stories of of pain and and things that we wouldn't want to wish on anybody uh, who we know. And I think that's a wonderful thing that we can do. Life is such a wonderful place where we can share life together. And I encourage you, if you are not part of a Life Group, to just look on the, on the church app or the website and see where you live in the nearest vicinity to where the Life Groups are, and just get involved, because it's a beautiful place where you grow so much. And I want to really pick up on um, the, the theme of community a little bit this morning and um, build upon some of the ideas that, and brought last week that a church community is one where we love God. It's built up of three things where we love God and honor God. And it's a place where um, we honor and love each other. And And spoke a lot on that last week about what it means to be a community that loves and uh, is together and meets and shares life and is open to all people to join that. And he mentioned another aspect of what it means to be a church, and that is to be a community that is on missions that has an outward focus as well as an inward focus. So there's three things I want to just focus on today, and just as part of my introduction to this morning, is to focus on the fact that we, we are a church that, that is to love God, put on a hymn. we're a church that loves people, but it's also a church that is on mission and has a fir- focus and a purpose outside of the four walls of this building. And in a way, our mission statement of this church really summarizes those three things rooted. We are rooted in Christ. We honor God. We honor Jesus and place him above all other things. We're planted. We're planted in the family. We're planted in the community. And we want to be fruitful in life. We want to have an effect on the world around us. We want to have a mission and a purpose outside of these four walls. And I was just considering this this week. What would it be like if we were to miss out one of those three things? If we were to miss out um, the aspect of being planted or being part of a church family and being part of a people that love, then we would have zeal for God and we would have a mission. And that would result in probably something like the Crusades, where we have this mighty desire to do something and to bring God's glory into all the earth. But because we miss out love for people, it's imbalanced. We become an imbalanced community. What if if we were to miss out God or or being rooted in Christ? We would be a community community that loves people and is on missions. But what would that result in? We would probably be a charity. Our goal would be to serve people and to love people, but not point them to the true hope that we have in Christ. And if we were to just love people and uh, love God, but not have a desire for missions and people outside of these four walls, we would be a club. And I think that's one of the things that God really spoke to me being part of this community for the last um, uh, year and a half to two years now is that my my desire and I'm sure many of our desires here is not to simply be a people that meets on Sunday, honors God, loves each other, be in home groups, but not choose to look outside the four walls and not choose to take steps to bring about the mission of God, which is to tell others about him. And to bring his gospel. And I fear sometimes, I've been in the church since I was probably six years old, and, um, and praise God, I thank you for my parents who are here and uh, here to listen to me preach for the second time in my life. Um, that sometimes we can really build a structure that supports simply loving, what we see as loving God and loving each other, and we don't build a structure and we put up things, maybe unintentionally, to support and protect this club or this community. And one of the things that I want to do say is hopefully um, preach and just share um, from the aspects of the persecuted church what it means to be a people that is on missions, and what the cost is for us to not just stay within these four walls, but to be on missions, to be a church that loves God, loves people, and loves the world, and is on missions. So I want to connect this morning the idea of missions and living for Jesus with the fact and the truth that the scripture brings that persecution and opposition will come and its present reality. Um, 2 Timothy 3 um, verse 12 simply says and this is is, uh, Paul speaking to Timothy Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. They will be persecuted. It's a sure thing. So the intention today is not to um, discourage you, not to um, in any way dampen your desire and love for God, but actually through reading through scripture today and listening to Jesus foremostly, that we can be encouraged, we can be uplifted, we can be um, encouraged not to despair. Or not to shut off, because I think the two things that comes with persecution or opposition is that we choose to despair and we respond in that way, or we can kind of bear our heads in the sand and be fearful. But actually, I want to encourage us this morning from the Word. Jesus says this. This is the radical call of Jesus in Matthew 16. If anyone would come and follow after me, if anyone would come and follow after Jesus, let him deny himself. And take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, for Jesus' sake, will find it. I find that very often in the Western world, um, we support ourselves not to get involved in any kind of suffering or persecution or opposition. Um, Just the idea of insurance. Um, You know, if I crash my car... Um, the fact is that I won't have to fork out a load of money, that someone actually will be able to cover me uh, if I hurt myself. I have medical insurance. And there's a sense that, in many ways, the society that we live in protects and upholds this belief that we can save our lives and we can support our lives without getting into any kind of sort of harm. And um, I found that one of the the things we have to do sometimes is to look outside of our own culture, to understand this idea of, of persecution and opposition, because so often we're just blinkered by the culture that we live in and uh, almost stifled uh, towards taking risks and taking uh, opportunities for Christ. So the outline of what I want to share today is, is simply this, three things. Um, I want to look at the reality of, of Christian persecution, the persecution of the church in the world. Uh, secondly, I want to look in the book of Matthew, um, chapter 5, the Beatitudes, what Jesus says about the opposition that comes against the church, and persecution that happens, and, and lastly, the third point, I want to just bring some encouragement to us. I want to bring encouragement from stories and the realities of the persecuted church around the world in the present day, and what that means, and how that persecution can actually be a blessing, and His promises a blessing for our lives. So, just before we go into that, I just want to just take a moment just to pray, to ask God to just bless this time and to bless the reading of His Word. So, Father, I thank you that um, this is a tough topic, and you know that I've struggled with, with it this week. Um, and we will all struggle with it, God, the, the reality that following you costs something. But I pray, Lord, this morning that our hearts would remain soft, that we would hear the words of our Lord Jesus, that they would speak to our hearts and not discourage us or not let us despair, but that we would be encourage, have courage And we would be encouraged to be the church body that you've called us to be. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So my first point is, is persecution a real thing that we experience? I'd probably say in the West that, um, as I said earlier, that persecution is something probably that we don't experience daily. Um, We walk out of these four walls today and we probably won't be um, arrested for, for being in this building. Unlike other places in the world. Uh, we probably will go to work, not tomorrow on Tuesday, and uh, we would probably make our way there and we 'd make our way back and we wouldn 't probably encounter much opposition or, uh, or, or or fight really for the fact that we are um, christians we that we love Jesus but um I wanted to bring to us that persecution is a real uh, a real thing in the world we don 't have to go very far. On Twitter or social media to, to hear the stories of in Iraq, in Syria, in, in, in Nigeria, um, in China. As in last year, in July 2014, a massive social campaign to identify with the Iraqi church because of the persecution and the, uh, the destruction, essentially, and wiping out of the Christian communities there. We don't have to go very far at all. And even in the New Testament church, if we just look at the book of Acts, only a few. Um, moments, a few pages you could say since the death and the resurrection of Jesus, persecution comes on the church. Um, We read of the apostles being um, arrested, of being beaten, of being um, put in prison, uh, just in the early chapters of Acts, chapter 5. And the strange thing that happens is that they rejoice and they they feel they're counted worthy of the fact of following Jesus because of that. Then we go into Acts 6, just again, a page across from in the Bibles, and we see of the first martyr of the church, the first person to lose their life for the sake of Jesus, and that is uh, Stephen, a man full of the Holy Spirit, who again um, did not want to be quiet or be silenced for proclaiming Jesus, but he opened his mouth, he proclaimed um, things against the establishment of the Jewish community there at the time, and he paid for it with his life. And again, in present-day reality, um, I just wanted to read something from, from Christianity Magazine, which is, um, just came into my door uh, on Tuesday this week. Um, and, and, and it's got an article here about the, uh, the growth of the church in Africa, but also the, the persecution of the church in Africa. Where the church is growing the fastest, there's also an increase in the attack of Christianity. So I just want to read just a section of this article um, which, in, which just set the scene for me this week, I think, been preparing. All I could hear were footsteps and gunshots. Nobody was screaming because they thought this would lead the gunmen to know where they were. The gunmen were saying, Sisi, Anai, Al-Shaba, Swahili, for we are al shababa If you were a Christian, you were shot on the spot. With each blast of the gun, I thought I was going to die. These are the words of Collins Watangala, vice-chair of the Student Union at Garassa University College in the northeast of Kenya, where shortly before Easter, 147 people were killed by an attack by the Al-Shabaab militants targeting Christians. Before shooting, four gunmen asked the students to state their religion. Al-Shabaab had previously claimed responsibility for the killing of 70, so 67 people in Nairobi's Westgate shopping mall in 2013. Just weeks after Grassa University attack, Islamic State released a film apparently showing the beheading and shooting of two groups of prisoners in Libya, thought to be Ethiopian Christians. These ongoing terrorist attacks are focusing minds of the daily threat to religious freedom experienced by thousands of Christians across the world. So the threat against Christianity is a real and, and present danger. Um, in the West, we are very much sheltered. And in the minority, um, I think it's 60% of the world Christianity, Christianity in the world, lies within the 20, 1040 window, which is that band of, um, of, of countries and nations which exist along the equator. And that is where the intensification of persecution um, is, is found, really, in our world. We are, we are not the norm <laughs> Uh, Christianity and persecution go hand in hand throughout the whole of the world um, but it's not something that wasn't told or, or foretold in the scripture um, our main text today is going to be looking at, at Matthew 5 um, the be- part of the beatitude so this is going to be our main text so let's, let's turn to that shall we uh, Matthew 5 um, verse 10 This is part of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is essentially sharing what the kingdom of God is like. What is it like to be um, a follower and to be part of this kingdom? And um, there's a lot of statements of blessings uh, in in advance of of verse 10. But we're going to focus mainly on verse 10 to, to 12. And this is Jesus speaking to us, so let's just hear what the Lord Jesus wants to say. Uh, Matthew 5, verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my accounts. Verse 12. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So we shouldn't be surprised in many way, because Jesus already, before he even went to the cross, he said that persecution would come for those who would live for righteousness' sake. But from this passage, I want to draw out just a few questions because this is, I'm kind of coming on to you quite strong and kind of coming quite um, serious all of a sudden, but I wanted to answer a few pertinent questions about persecution just using this passage. The first is, why, why does persecution come? Why does Jesus say that it will come, and why does it come here? Um, And we read in verse 10 that, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. So the cause of persecution, according to Jesus here, is is righteousness. So that leads on to the next question. What is righteousness? And uh, in the structure of the Beatitudes, righteousness can be defined um, in, in kind of two viewpoints here. If we look at the verses prior to verse 10 there's a load of sayings which say blessed. So verse 6 says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. So if we almost sandwich that statement, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, and verse 10, which is blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, if we look at the verses between there, it's going to tell us something about what righteousness is. And the verses that are stated there in Matthew 5 tell us that righteousness is... Is, the, is in a way um, surmised, or uh, the qualities of righteousness are these things. Um, they are a life, a righteous life is one which is full of mercy. It's a life that is pure in heart. And it's a life that is one of a peacemaker. So that gives us some idea of what the righteousness that Jesus is talking about in this passage. It's not the righteousness of the Pharisees that Jesus says that we have to exceed, it's the righteousness that he brings with his kingdom. So a life that is merciful, a life that is pure in heart, uh, and one that is a peacemaker. But if we also look at verses 10 and 11, it tells us something more about what righteousness is. It tells us that, and there's two parallel verses here. If we read verse 10 and verse 11, they speak to us in parallel ways. They say uh, in verse 10, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. And in verse 11 it says, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil on my account. So what it's saying here in verse 10 and 11 is that the cause of righteousness is not... We don't suffer just for the sake of righteousness' sake, just for being a certain type of person. We suffer it for the sake of his sake, for his account. And that person is Jesus. So the righteous life, the one which leads to persecution, is one of mercy. We're people of mercy, of purity, of of peacemaking, for the sake of Jesus. That's almost like a statement of what the righteous life is, according to Jesus here. So one with mercy, one of purity, one of peacemaking, for the sake of Jesus. That is the kind of life that Jesus says here leads to persecution. That's really kind of a strange concept, isn't it? Because why would anyone want to persecute a peace-loving, um, merciful um, Pure in heart, follower of Jesus, are we really that offensive? Good question, I think, and it's we need to go a little, dig a little bit deeper to understand what Jesus is saying. Why is it that this righteous life causes so much opposition? As we said already, of the reality in this whole world, I think Jesus gives us the root cause of um, of, of persecution of why this kind of lifestyle this life that is in Christ, why does it lead to persecution? And it's alluded to, and it's summarized, I think, in in Luke 16, verse 13, where Jesus speaking to the Pharisees, those religious leaders of the day, those who were hepped up and caught up in religious activity and opposed Jesus and sent him to, to be killed on the cross. This is what Jesus says to them. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And then here comes the persecution. The Pharisees, who loved money, heard all of this, and they sneered at Jesus. So there we go. Jesus is laying down for us a life that is peace-loving, that is full of purity, that is full of, of mercy, and follows him. And this life has a master, and his name is Jesus. And then there's another set of people, and their lives are not for Jesus. And there's an opposition there, because the righteous life serves Jesus, and the other life despises him. And that will cause conflict. That will cause it. The love of, my, the love of other things other than Jesus is, is, is in opposition to Christ. And we don't have to work very hard. I know some of us may be a bit more, you know... Um, Uh, What's the word? Uh, Abrasive in our natures, maybe? Um, That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a life that is purely living for Jesus, choosing to live for Jesus. That will be abrasive to the culture that we live in. If you choose to serve God with your money and give freely and generously, what does that say to the world? It will show out the greed and it will show out um, the love of money in this world. What if you choose to cherish sexual purity? It will go against the grain of what this world says. You can have free sex and it will be an attack on people's freedom. If you want to live a life that is self-controlled and is one that doesn't abuse substances, it will show to the rest of the world the excessiveness of drinking and other elements in this world. Um, If you want to live a life that is simple and um, not living to the extreme, it will show the folly in this world of luxury. If you want to be a people that walks humbly in your workplace and gives respect and honor to other people, no matter what they've done, it will go in the face of people who um, exposes pride and greed and other things in other people around you. If you are to be spiritually minded, as Romans 8 says, you set your mind on the things of the spirits, it will expose the worldliness of things around you. You don't have to work very hard, I don't think, to, to realize that we are not of this world and the world cannot accept those things because they not—they don't have Christ as their Lord. If you choose to follow Jesus and believe that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and you reject all other claims to salvation and to godliness, then you are opposed to all the world religions out there and what they stand for and what they live for. So there's two responses, really, to the righteous life, the righteous living one is that people are either drawn to the light or they reject the light and that's stated clearly in John 3:20 you are the light of the world though and just coming back to Matthew 5 now you are the light of the world a city on a hill cannot be hidden nor do people put a lamp and put it under a basket but they put it on a stand and it gives light to all the house in the same way let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. There is hope for this life. It's not all about persecution. The hope that we have as a church body is to be light, is to be the righteous, live this righteous life, to follow after Jesus hard. And the cost may be opposition, it may be revile, it may be evil spoken against you. And maybe not in this country, but in other countries, it it can and will lead to death for the sake of his name. But the hope is not just simply that we'll be persecuted and we'll get through it, but the hope is that others, as they see light shining from us as the church in the world, that it would lead to the power of the Holy Spirit bringing light and life into other people's lives and bringing glory to our Father in heaven. That is what we hope for and the cost might be persecution in our lives. Now, I haven't, there's one key word I haven't focused on very much so far from Matthew five, and it's the first word in that, in, in these verses, which is blessed. What is Jesus saying when he says, "Blessed are those who per, are persecuted for righteousness' sake"? Blessed are you when others revile you. And even more, when we look at verse twelve, Jesus says here, "Rejoice and be glad." Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. Now, this is um, something that's baffling, I think, to us. How can persecution, suffering, for the sake of Jesus, be a blessing? It doesn't quite connect in the Western way that we think. How can it be that living for him and undergoing uh, pain and other things that may come against the church if we choose to live for him, how can it be that that can be a blessing? How can it be that we can rejoice in the midst of suffering? And I think the only way we can understand it is that it's a mystery. It is a mystery that Jesus would choose to bless our lives through uh, the persecution and the suffering of his church. I'm just, when I was preparing, I was thinking to myself, is Jesus like a, like a bad pastor? You know, when you're suffering or you're in pain and you know, somebody comes up to you or the pastor comes up to you and says, don't worry, God will bless you, it's fine. And it's very surface level and very, you know, it's not really meaningful because it's just so blasé. Is Jesus being blasé here and saying, just be blessed, be honoured, you know, Glor- glory to God in your suffering. Is, he, is that what Jesus is like? Or does Jesus have something that we can maybe only understand in the midst of suffering and in the midst of pain, that somehow Jesus is enough, that somehow Jesus says that it is a blessing and it will build you and it will build his church and his kingdom will come and his glory will shine and our lives will rejoice in the midst of pain for his name. And I think sometimes we, we can't look at that from maybe going forward sometimes. We have to kind of look from it from the, in the midst of it. And I want to share... Um, just as we close, just some encouragement from the persecuted church. Because I know that for me personally, the only way that my mind stays on missions and my mind stays on this course of wanting to proclaim Jesus is not to look within sometimes my own self, but it's actually to look at my brothers and sisters around the world and to be encouraged from their courage and to be captivated by their desire and their faith in Jesus. And there's, there's three things I want just to bring uh, from the persecuted church, three encouragements that I, I pray would, um, would, would bring courage to your lives to live for Jesus. Because um, it's almost like in Hebrews 11, it says that there's a great cloud of witnesses before us and they're encouraging us. They're saying, come on, keep going in this life and not to, pers- and not to despair, but to persevere. So this mystery, how, does, how is it lived out? what does the persecuted church tell us and how can it encourage us? The first thing is that the persecuted church shows us what grace and forgiveness really, really looks like. Just reading from, uh, from Acts, this is the story of Stephen being stoned to death for standing out for Jesus. And while they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he said this, he fell asleep. There's a real and present reality that grace and mercy flows uh, in the midst of suffering, especially on the persecutors. Again, reading from this article um, in Christianity magazine, um, stories from Africa. In all of this persecution, Christians in the West are being given an extraordinary example of grace and world-changing forgiveness. Many of the African Christians who have suffered so much have refused to respond with violence, and in many instances, willingly forgiven their persecutors. Sarah Ambasta, whose husband was shot dead when armed militants opened fire in his church near Mombasa, said, from my heart, I really forgive them, because they are just human beings. I always pray one day God will change their hearts and they become the biggest servants of the Lord. That's the reality of it, isn't it? When you're faced with having to forgive, um, it's only in those times that the glory and the greatness and the grace of Jesus shine so brightly in the life of his people. The second thing that the persecuted church can encourage us by is that the church shows us what it means to wholly trust in Jesus, no matter what the cost. Paul, writing to the Corinthian church, says, But Jesus said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecution, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Here Paul writes to the church to encourage them, to the fact that persecution has come, hardship has come, but his trust is in the Lord Jesus. Jesus' grace is sufficient for him. Now, sometimes when we think of persecution, we don't always think of the country that we live in right now. Um, but, you know, you stone throw, a few s- centuries ago, um, there was serious persecution in, 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 the, in England. Um, the 16th century, um, Mary the first queen mary first came to the throne and she had the nickname um, bloody mary and there's a good reason for that nickname um it was because she pers- she wanted to bring um, the catholic church practices back into england uh, when the protestant movement was moving forwards and um, the the bishop of london at the time and his name was uh, bishop nicholas ridley um, and his in uh, his all of those who who held the doctrine um, their, their doctrine of, of Jesus being salvation and being um, free to all people and the church not controlling um, salvation stood against and opposed uh, and stood for their doctrine to, to, to bring Jesus to the people. And um, for that, they paid for their lives. They were burnt at the stake in 1555 for holding to that. And these are some of um, Bishop Nicholas's last words um, before being led to the stake. I tell you this so that you won't be ashamed of my death. If you love me, you will rejoice that God has called me to this honor. Call me to this honor. <laughs> um, which is greater than any earthly honor I could ever attain. Who wouldn't be happy to die for this cause? I trust in my Lord God, who put his mind and will and affection in my heart and chose to lose all my worldly substance and my life too rather than deny his known truth. He will comfort me, he will aid me, and strengthen me forever, even to the unyielding of my spirit and soul into his hands. So the persecuted church teaches us about what it means to truly trust wholly on Jesus in life and in death. The third thing that the persecuted church teaches us is that there is an eternal hope for us, but also for those outside. There's, pers- there's a, a there's of hope for you and for me. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the famous German theologian who um, stood out against Nazi Germany in the 1940s, probably one of the greatest theologians of this, of not this century, the last century, and impacted the church dramatically. Um, he was executed in 1945, um, almost just a few weeks before liberation came to the camp that he was in. He said this on the way to the gallows where he was to be hung. This is the end, but for me, it's the beginning of life. That eternal perspective to know that this is just a whisper, our life on this earth, and there is something greater in heaven. Paul says this in Philippians, for me to live and to die is gain. They're getting onto something. There's something more than just this life that we live on this earth. And in what we read already in Matthew 5, Jesus says this, Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. There is something outside of this world right now that God has called us and prepared for us to those who are faithful. And that that hope is not just for us. It's not just for these people right now within these four walls. That hope is for those around us who we work with. That hope is for those around us who we go on the train or car share or go to school with or go to university with. This hope, this eternal hope that Jesus has promised to us is, is, is not to be kept in, in the church, but it's to be given out. And um, I want to close with just one story that, um, that shipwrecked almost my week uh, in the impact that it made. And it's, it was a story that was shared. It's shared in this book um, by John Piper, Let Nations Be Glad. But it's a story that you can search on YouTube and hear it as well. Um, it's the story of um, Joseph, Who was a Maasai warrior in Africa and the impact that the gospel made in his life and the impact of his to his village. One day, Joseph, who was walking along one of these hot and dirty African roads, met someone who shared the gospel of Jesus Christ with him. Then and there he accepted Jesus as his Lord and Savior. The power of the Spirit began transforming his life, and he was filled with such excitement and joy that the first thing he wanted to do was return to his own village and share that same good news with the members of his local tribe. So Joseph began going from door to door, telling everyone he met about the cross of Jesus and the salvation it offered, expecting to see their faces light up the same way that he had, he, his had. But to his amazement, the villagers not only didn't care, they became violent. The men of the village seized him and held him to the ground while the women beat him with strands of barbed wire. He was dragged from the village and left to die alone in the bush. Joseph somehow managed to crawl to a waterhole, and there, after days of passing out, in and out of consciousness, he found the strength to get up. He wondered about the hostile reception he received from his people, the people he had known for all his life. He decided he must have let's, left something out, or told the story of Jesus incorrectly. So after rehearsing the message he had first heard, he decided to go back and share his faith once more. Joseph limped into the circle of huts and began to proclaim Jesus. He died for you so that you might be forgiven and come to know the living God. He pleaded. Again, he was grabbed by the men of the village and held while the women beat him, reopening the wounds that had just begun to heal. Once more, they dragged him unconscious from the village and left him to die. To have survived the first beating was truly remarkable. To live through the second was a miracle. Again, days later, Joseph awoke in the wilderness, bruised and scarred, and determined to go back. He returned to the small village, and this time they attacked him before he even had a chance to open his mouth. They flogged him for the third and probably the last time. He again spoke to them of Jesus, the Lord, but before he passed out, the last thing he saw was that the women who were beating him began to weep. This time, he woke in his own bed. The ones who had beaten him severely were now trying to save his life and nurse him back to health. The entire village had come to Christ. You are a light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but they put it on the stand, and it gives light to all the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. This morning, I know it's been a heavy word, and um, I've been struggling with it for the last... Few days um, thinking, is this what I want to give to you? Uh, But I felt that this is such a fundamental truth that we have to hold on to if we want to be fruitful in life. If we truly, truly want to take Jesus seriously and live out this calling to be rooted, planted, and fruitful, it comes with a cost. For some of us, it may be that we stay in this country and we serve Jesus all our lives in this place, in this nation. And probably maybe the worst that will happen is that we will be embarrassed, um, ridiculed, um, excluded somehow. But what Jesus promises you is joy. What he promises you is blessing and rejoicing for the sake of his name. And probably also salvation for those who will come following your testimony and your righteous living and your faith in him. For others, the calling of you may be outside of this country. And I'm not going to predetermine anyone's here, but some of you already know that God's called you to a nation or a people outside of the UK. And the call could go further than just um, ridicule and and embarrassment and things like that, which we may experience here, but could cost you your life. And I'm not ashamed to say that it's worth it for Jesus, that we hear stories, we hear about the glory of Jesus shining brightly through his church because of of sacrifice, because of persecution, because of the joy set before them. And first, to to respond this morning, I just want us to um, do three things. We're going to take communion, which is firstly acknowledging our need for Jesus, saying that we are rooted in him, and we're going to take it together as a people, because we're saying that we are planted in a family that belongs and loves Jesus. But also the communion is not just for us. It's a sign to show that we believe in the blood, we believe in the body broken for us, we believe in Jesus' sacrifice, and we believe in the gospel and the message that will go out from this place. Did you want to share something? Just as our friend comes up, I just want to say another way we're going to respond today. We're going to respond with singing. And when we sing, what I want us to do, I want us to pray for the persecuted church. Because what it says in 1 Corinthians is that when one part of the body suffers, the whole body suffers, when one part rejoices, we will rejoice. And the present reality is, you don't have to go very far, you have to just go outside on the coffee tables and and pick up some information, is that persecution is a reality And what we pray for, we don't pray without hope. We pray with acknowledgement that Jesus, you are enough. Jesus, you will shine in your your goodness. You will shine in grace and forgiveness. You will shine in the people trusting in you. You will shine in eternal hope that will spring forth from people laying their lives down for you. And, uh, And that's how we want to kind of end today, just by responding, by being open, by being soft to Jesus and allowing him to put that truth in our hearts. Did you want to share? Something?
1: So I'm Deborah, I'm Zach's mom. I'm sure you all know Zach. I was trying to suppress myself there, but uh, I felt the Spirit says, share it, share it. What you said last is what my testimony is about. Suffering with others, wherever they are. What he referred to about the Garissa students' killing, was just about a week or a few days after we had been in Mombasa for an all-Africa house of prayer. It was a time when God showed himself to us in Africa. There was so much that was shared there about what the world is doing against his people. That is you and me. And after that, when we heard of what happened there, they said it could have been worse than the 148 students who were killed. After that, that was in March. In April, on 4th, our intercessors in Uganda come from Uganda, and I was then in Uganda. I've been in Uganda 20. from February to just beginning of this month Our chairman of our intercessors in Uganda was inspired to start a prayer drive in the eastern region of the country and that was because there was an imminent attack on universities and schools in eastern Uganda So Two vehicles of intercessors obeyed God, and they did that. On the 14th of that same month, that was only 10 days, there had been an attack on two universities which were both foiled. And we know that was because those who thought they were safe took it up to stand in for what was being planned. Mm-hmm. Church, we are in the last days. When Paul talks about, in, in, um, in Timothy 2.3, these are perilous days. These are perilous days for the whole of his body. Mordecai said to Esther, do not think you are safe here just because you are in the king's palace. If you do not stand with your people wherever they are, as if you are there in the prisons, as if you are there like that Maasai man who went through, these are perilous. When I see Jesus... Dying for us when he died. It was when gross darkness had come upon the world. That's what I see without Joseph dying for his people. He died in a place where nobody knew Jesus. Okay, we know Jesus here. What am I talking about? Because gross darkness is coming on us. Jesus said when you see all these things happening all at the same time. Look up. Let us look up for our brethren wherever they are. You start an intercessory team here. I believe there will be much that will be saved. Ugandans who have been saved precisely because of that. There is a powerful prayer, prayer group in Uganda that is putting the domes. Of protection, and that's all I can say when we talk about a suffering church. It's for us to raise our eyes because our salvation is near, but our salvation is not just for me, but for all our body in Christ in the world. May God bless us. Thank you for your.
0: Let's stand, shall we? I'm gonna ask Tim just to um, just to lead us in a song. But I think it's it's only right that we, we pray. Um, it's only right that we that that may be quietly. Maybe you want to just gather with a few people. But what I want to encourage you to do is to pray with understanding and with um, and with information, um, so many opportunities we can uh, look to to find information, whether it's um, Open Doors USA, whether it's Barnabas Fund, whether it's um, the Voice of the Martyrs, all these organizations which help us to connect the reality of worldwide persecution of the church. But also not just, as I said at the beginning, not with, um, with crippling uh, fear or despair, but with great hope, with great power, with great joy. We want to see Jesus proclaimed in Africa. We want to see him proclaimed in China. We want to see him proclaimed across the nations. So, Father, I thank you for this time. Thank you, God, for the reality of of people's lives that are... um, living in real and present danger in this world. Thank you, Lord, that you call us to be a church body that looks inwards and focuses our hearts and minds on you and on each other, but also looks outwards and would take risks and take opportunities for your name's sake. We don't want to be a club, Lord Jesus. We want to be the church. We want to join our hearts this morning with the Worldwide Church. This morning as people gather around the world, some in freedom, but a whole lot more with a lack of freedom. We join our hearts, Lord, with them now. Pray, Lord, that you would inform our minds, inform our hearts. Let our hearts cry out for the lost. Let our hearts cry out, God, for those who are persecuting. Pray for mercy. Pray you would hold back evil. That you would bring forth light. Lord Jesus, we pray that you are the King and thank you that we do not despair. But we raise up our eyes to you. We look to you, Lord Jesus. And we pray, God, that your church would shine brightly. We pray, Lord, for forgiveness and mercy. We pray, Lord God, for hope in suffering. We pray for rejoicing in adversity we pray for salvation to come we pray Lord God for those who have lost loved ones we pray Lord for those who have lost their homes, we pray for those who are in Christians in Iraq who are displaced and are being wiped out we pray for those Christians in Syria who are surrounded by ISIS, we pray Lord God for the church for those who are choosing whether to stay or go we pray for those who would choose to stay that they would be faithful we pray, Lord God, that you would um, fulfill the task that you have for their lives as they are to stay in Syria and keep the church alive in that country, in that nation. We pray for the bishops and the clergy, Lord, in Iraq, who are choosing to stay and serve people and not to flee. Thank you for their bravery. Thank you, God, for their testimony, God, that their lives are counted uh, in heaven, that their reward is not on this earth, but the reward, God, is... To, is to lay their lives down for the sake of others and to keep the church alive in these nations where it's being wiped out. Pray for Africa. We pray, Lord God, against Boko Haram. We pray against ISIS. We pray against, Lord God, the destruction of your church in these nations. We thank you, God, that you are the Lord, God. They are not the Lord. That you are the Lord, God, that you will save many through the standing and the opposition, Lord, that will come against your church. Lord, open our eyes, we pray. We pray around us right now as we look to, the, to the St. Albans and Harpenton and the Luton the places where we live. Open our eyes, God. Let's be like Joseph. Let's love the people, the villages that we live in. And whatever the cost, Lord, we pray that we would be strong, we would be faithful, that your spirit would come. Fill our hearts with boldness. Fill our hearts with your courage. Our righteousness shine. Jesus, come. We pray, Holy Spirit, you come right now and fill our hearts with a joy in Christ.